Hello and welcome back to the Apprentice One to One podcast. It's me, Mark, and I'm joined by the regular crew again. You don't just have to listen to me rambling on about something and nothing. I've got Craig with me and Richard. How are you, Craig? First up. Just uh, busy away as we always are at this time of year. Like, I know there's talk of trade slowing down and things, but I can't see we're seeing it personally, so it feels pretty manic at the minute. Rushed off your feet still with work. I like it. <laughs> And yourself, Richard, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Good to see you again, you guys. It feels like it's been weeks. I've been to Greece. It has been weeks. Yeah, started a new job and got deep into all sorts of stuff, how the regs are built and uh, been developing our best practice guides and um, doing a a lot of work on EICRs at the moment, trying to change, um, you know, some thinking behind the actual forms themselves. really to make them a bit more user-friendly for the for the recipient and um, trying to streamline some of the coding, maybe looking at FI, kind of moving that, getting rid of that and maybe having an, an, uh, an advisory type code, a bit similar to when you go and take your car for an MOT, so either a pass or a fail, isn't it? And you might be a pass with advisories um, or it's a fail. So yeah, a lot of work going on with the organisation in the background, so I'm really enjoying that. Um, yeah, I do miss the workshop though. I've got to say that I do miss the workshop and interacting with learners, but um, so for anyone who hasn't anyone who hasn't watched the earlier episode, you've, you've changed job and you're now with electrical safety first, first That's, yeah. yeah. Um, really, really interesting. And um, the other half of the, the organization is, is looking after consumer safety, so there's a lot of um, noise around um, electric scooters, been a lot of fires, there's also been a lot of problems with um, selling. Uh, products on online marketplaces where they're not governed by the same um, law or legislation that they are if you went and bought it from a shop. So we're doing a lot of work in that space, but um, obviously I'm on on the installation side of it. So a lot of good stuff going on, really enjoying it. Um, So yeah, you know, all good, all good, all good. Those best practices are brilliant. If there's apprentices following on with this, going and checking some of those out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely awesome content in there. I know there's some disagreement on codes electricians always have will disagree with code breakers the best practice guides and all that good stuff but the underlying content throughout all of those things is really really useful yeah so I'll, I'll drop a link in the description alongside this podcast so anyone who is wondering what they are and where they are you can go off and check them out because they're fantastic yeah i mean they're not they're not a, a five minute thing to put together or change i mean we're currently updating best practice guide two which is all about safe isolation, um, you know, management of electrical safety. But when you look in the front cover, there's many organisations that all come together to produce these best practice guides. And not just our, you know, not just my thoughts on it, that, you know, they are, we kind of bring all these organisations together. So NAPIT, ECA, HSE, IT, Select, BEMA, BSI, Searcher, City and Guilds, EAL, everyone comes together to, to agree you know, before we, we put it out there. So nobody can argue with somebody else. It's it's seen as the industry best practice, which is what I like. So freely available to download. Um, and hopefully next year we'll be um, doing some technical uh, events ourselves to try and, uh, you know, get us out there a little bit more. And that's partly my role within the organisation. So absolutely brilliant, doing some good work. So yeah, all good. And, and what about you, Mark? Have you touched the ground recently or are you just still trolling about rooftops thinking that that's where electricians work? 
Yeah, I've managed to get off the rooftops a bit. Uh, we got some stuff going on at home. So I've been out of the business a bit of time the last couple of weeks. Kids are off school as well. So I'm running around looking after them. It's just my excuse to not be up high, to be fair. So I'm, I'm keeping my feet on the ground. We've still got loads of inquiries coming in. I've seen a Jamie share a post on Instagram about a solar firm going under. Today, I just I find that hard to believe because it just seems crazy busy. As you said, Craig, I, I'm not noticing a slowdown per se, but having spoken with Sam on, on his podcast, I know that people in the agency scene are really starting to see a bit of a slowdown with things. So it's, um, it's a concern, I guess, because that's kind of the canary to industry, I think, the agency sector. So who knows what might be coming later, but same as you, Greg, busy, busy. Are you um, still fighting away with your design course? Are we lost, Craig, I think? There are just technical problems trying to unmute my microphone because I'm <laughs> still coughing a bit from having COVID, so my fat fingers won't hit the right button. Um, yeah, I mean, I had my design course last week. I've got my exam next week. So basically all I do is do mock exams for my design course now. That's literally my life. I spend all day looking at calcs and design and prices at work and then I come home and I get some mock papers out and I do another three hours every night of doing the same thing over and over again. What else do you want? <laughs> Sound like you're enjoying it. <laughs> I am, to be fair, because you you go back over the eggs and I know in our group that we've got, we always bounce questions off each other and things and, you, well, mainly I'm asking you guys to help me, but you go over stuff and I was going back to the design course. You know when you forget like the little things, like in a, I think it's an appendix four that talks about that if you're using a ring circuit, it has to have the ability to carry 20 amps. So when everybody says, oh, rule of thumb, it's always two five. And you start looking at the reference methods and you go, well, actually some of them don't hit 20 amps until they're on six mils running through insulation, for example, that we obviously never do in domestic houses at all, do we? Um, so it's just nice to freshen up on some little angles of some of them and just kind of bringing that back to the surface, I guess, and just looking at it from a different avenue. I was fortunate with the instructor I had. I picked where I went for my course because I knew the instructor and he was very thorough and he's got a very good knowledge base he does scrutiny even for city and guilds and stuff as well so i knew i was going somewhere with sound advice and guidance really so that's the two three nine six you're doing isn't it yeah 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 just so, getting that tick in the box want to join and be one of the 70 percent fail rates next week i'm sure you'll be fine you'll be absolutely fine and smash it it's an, it's an interesting area of industry about design because, you know, typically in my earlier career, it was all based on the rule of thumb. I grew up in a domestic environment where there was those around me who were working off those rules of thumb of 2.5 mil for your ring final circuits. You were lucky if you got 1.5 mil on the lighting, 6 mil on your cookers, even your showers. So the world was different back then. It was only when testing was starting to come out and even be a thing. So don't judge me. It's just the way it once seemed to be. <laughs> But now with design, and I know from um, my own perspective of using electrical OM, I've realized that lots of things you think should work don't end up actually playing out as working when you put them through the right design process. And usually due to, as you just said, Craig, insulation. It's like a massive derating factor, isn't it, in a domestic setting? And the other, the other one that I love is 
we all love to wrap our boards in trunking, right? That's what makes it look lovely. We have all this nice metal trunking on the board. Everybody applying the gripping factors to that because the gripping talks about cables of a similar size and power. So if you've got your submain and your lights and your mechanical, are they all of similar size and power and makeup going through the gripping factors? And are we taking that into account? And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I know someone will say, oh, well, it's just the real world. We just do it. Like, I get that. I get what people's view is. But there's a lot that I think is missed that we should be considering on a day-to-day basis. And it's an interesting journey. Yeah, it is with containment around DBs. Like you said, everything sits in it. And we usually have a horizontal length somewhere along that setup, don't we? And, and all the cables sit on top of each other throughout a good metre or so at the very least. So it's a, an interesting discussion around grouping factors because I've had those arguments with people about cable tying conductors inside the DBs when when really they should have already been derated anyway because of the containment they're all sat in before that. So it's a, an interesting angle of discussion. But I think primarily with this one, it was just to make apprentices aware of the importance of design, really. If you are going to get to that stage in your career where you're off um, not just chucking stuff at the wall, but thinking about the, the starting point to get into that initial installation phase. Design plays a big part, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's understanding who is a designer and virtually it'll be better to come and talk about this, I'm sure. But that box that you ticked when you do your EIC or you do your EICR that says design, construct and install, if you're a one-man band, you are taking that liability, which I think we've mentioned before, and you are expected to know that if you're running through 500 mil of loft insulation, that's not the depth, it's the length, which everybody gets confused in the book with, then action. And, you know, if you can change anything in the regs, that table that says depth of insulation would be banging because it's confusing. But I think you are expected that you're signing to say you know that and you have thought about that and you have applied all the factors relevant. But Virtually a bit more than that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, as, as I said before, it's fundamentally, it's having a good working knowledge of the regs, isn't it? 7671 and especially Appendix 4, which details the whole design process, albeit not that well, not that easy to follow. But if you, if you, if you can use it and utilise the various tables and the various formula, it's not that difficult. It's a step-by-step process. Um, unless you're dealing with harmonics and all other stuff, then it becomes a bit crazy. But otherwise, fundamentally, if you follow the basic steps, work out your design current and your protective device and apply any factors, um, it's not a major drama, but most of the tables in the regs, of course, (coughs) always be a number of caveats underneath them and a number of notes that you have to read and have an understanding of, you know, typically for grouping, if, if you haven't got, you know, more than, forget now 30% of a certain number of circuits that are going to be fully loaded, you can ignore them. Yes. And a lot of people will, will, you know, draw them all in and say, oh, crikey, I'm going to end up having to wire that lighting circuit in, you know, 50 mil. <laughs> but it's just a process, isn't it? Um, and it just depends how you, how you break the process down. But again, it's all in the regs. It's just, it's not that well laid out. And, you know, therefore you've got various appendices in the, in the onsite guide and the design guide, but, yeah, I mean, you know, the apprenticeship framework, if it's 5357, the 104 unit is fundamentally a design unit. And I'd imagine it's the same with EAL, not too too sure of that. And even the full-time courses is always a design unit. Um, and I know with the, the 5357, it was the hotel project, which I, I really enjoyed delivering that that unit. It was really, really good. 
but you've got to give everybody a, a, you know the basic tools to be able to understand you know the basic design parameters and of course the idea is that you use the book part one is it within the scope if it is yet part two i can use at any point part three then you know you're looking at your maximum demand your supply characteristics all the rest of it part four what I'm, what is my protective measure what i'm going to be using and then part five based on part four etc 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 and then the appendices of course are there to guide us through various processes and give us additional information to be able to do what we need to do but it's, it all comes back to the book, doesn't it? It's understanding the, the, how the book is put together and how, you, how to use it. You know, and often it's forwards and backwards, but I don't think the process is too difficult. Maybe it's because I've done it enough times and taught it. Maybe it's the way I teach it, I'm not sure, but maybe that's something we could look at in the future. I don't know, there's lots of stuff on YouTube, isn't there? Maybe pick a, you know, a simple uh, piece of equipment and, and maybe do a basic cable cut from start to finish and, Whatever, you know, I don't mind at all that those are the other things that we could do. Maybe people are messaging in Mark saying, well, I'm really struggling with this or that. Maybe there's a way that I can show or Craig or yourself to try and break it and simplify it out a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, you know, fundamentally, it's, it's a good understanding of the book, isn't it? You know, I think every electrician on site, apprentice or spark, wherever you sit in that mantra, should be able to know the basic principle of your cable is bigger than your protective device and your protective device is equal to or bigger than your design current. Yeah. And just simple, if you're just looking at a drawing and going, well, it told me to put one five in on a motor circuit and not actually questioning any reason why, maybe you should be questioning and i understand the regs are quite a big daunting book but the on-site guide if you're starting out for design is actually quite helpful because it breaks down the main parts for a domestic scenario for people to use um whereas the regs go in a bit more depth but all the key principles in there are in the on-site guide you know does the apprentice know if they're putting a bonding clamp on a gas pipe where they should be installing it and it's those sorts of little things that you do an exam on your on-site guide at level two. You do an exam on your design course using your on-site guide at level three, which is your first and second year of your apprenticeship if you're doing the 5357. So nobody should be in industry not having a good working knowledge of their on-site guide if they don't have a good knowledge of the next. Totally. Yeah. I mean, totally we completely agree. I think that the issue we've got is there's a few people in industry who haven't maybe been through that level of training. Um They've come into the CPS via the short courses and they've missed out on a lot of that theoretical um, knowledge that they might have gained in a classroom environment or with an employer. But certainly when you're going through an apprenticeship, you should be getting that put into your learning. As you've just said, it's part of the course, isn't it? And it's it's, it's one of those where if you are out, out doing the job, sometimes you can fall into the routine of, well, it worked on the last job, so it'll work on this job. It's really easy to get into those habits, isn't it? I'm not going to sit here and pretend... I haven't ever been like that because I certainly have been at points in my career. So it's, it's one of those, it's getting into the right habits, I think, and being aware that just because it works somewhere else, it might not work on the next job and still play out the calcs as you always should do. Well, and some of the rule of thumbs are given off of really old knowledge, like the reason why we still use rings. They were brought in after the war. They were brought in when people had different sized plugs for the one plug they would have in each part of their house because you had a 15-amp plug, a 10-amp plug, a 5-amp plug, and they were all different. And then they tried to uniform it, didn't they? And the way they uniformed it was say, well, just make all plugs the same. Um, and 
with a ring, you can put it on a 100 metres squared. And then from all of your downstairs, you can spur off of every outlet upstairs and still keep it on the same ring to be aware of reducing the cable during time of rations and time of shortages. Yet we're still applying that today. And it's like some of these factors maybe need to be updated slightly or well, considered as to when we use them. They did tweak some of the, the numbers, didn't they, for the max ZS values on overcurrent protected devices when semen changed. So there's there's a few bits and pieces that get adjusted through the fullness of time that would have worked at one point with the regulations, but not at another. So, I mean, we don't know what might other derating factors they come up with next. There could be something else we need to apply onto this stuff at a point in time in the future. But it's um, just doing your best, isn't it? I know they had the the scope of trying to bring energy efficiency in, didn't they? They talked about that with the first version of the 18th edition. I think it was in the draft of public comment. So they were going to change the design process, not just to be in terms of safety, I guess, but also energy efficiency. And then for whatever reason, that got withdrawn. Yeah. But it's still coming out more and more. It hasn't disappeared. <laughs> Hold this space. It hasn't disappeared. <laughs> Thinking even on... Is, is to, instead of having all your distribution at one end of the building, the idea is to bring it in the middle of the building. So your runs are, are shorter, you know, you, you're reducing your cross-sectional area, et cetera, to have, you know, we'll use less copper. That's that's the point. But I was going to say, some of us, though, we overspec, don't we, as well, because we're worried about, oh, it's on the limit there. You know, it's, I need a four mil, a little tech 31 amps, but... You know, my design current's 30, it's close, blah, blah, blah. So I'll go up to 10 mil. You know, some of us do that as well. That way we, we overspec because that sometimes you do that, you know. Rather than wire a ring then in 2.5, I'll wire it in 4 mil. I'll just overspec it. You know, that's some designers will do that. So you, you've got both ends of, of the scale, haven't you? What's the minimum? I'm going to go minimum or I'm going to go, you know, to the next size up. There is that as well. There's a lot, a lot, of, no, a lot of consideration being a designer. It's a tough job being a designer. I think, I think and so. I, I agree. And I try and explain that to students when I say to them about, like, I say, look at a design. If you don't get it, and I know no design is perfect, but humor me for a second. I tell them, if you don't get your design spot on, I said, if you do it and it's too small, then you're going to have issues because you've underspecked. If you overspec and you charge more, then you're probably losing the job as well anyway because somebody who's designed it properly is coming in and charging maybe £500 less than you just because they're not buying as much cable from what you laid out in your design. So it's paramount not only to doing good installs, but to win and work, I would suggest. Yeah. That's the other aspect, isn't it? The commercial side of it. That's a good point, Craig. Because yeah. it's, it's competitive out there. And if you are... I mean, even on small domestic stuff, if, you, if you're caught in a rewire and you're sticking 10 mil on your, your ovens and your showers when you maybe don't have to because there's no insulation that would dictate you need it and the loads on the end don't need it, you could be outpricing yourself from no other reason than not designing the job properly. And I think most cookers, when you look at them now, because technology advances, most cookers fit on a 32 amp, right? And if anybody does an idea about it, you find out that once we get past one mil for quite a lot of circuits, it doesn't make any difference after that. But we all still chuck what 16 mil tails in and you know, 16 mil main earths, like just because that's what everybody's always done. And actually, the other side is do we know enough to pick that up? You spoke about EICR earlier, Richard. Are we going to go into a job and go, 
you got 25 mil tails with a six mil main aft. Is somebody going to try and then fail that? Because actually they haven't understood about adiabatic equations. And I think there's a whole gap of stuff you could delve into and dig into that needs to be developed, yeah. I would suggest. The adiabatic's a big one, isn't it? It's amazing the actual size of earthing conductors you can use when you calculate that out. That's something else electrical OM's shown me because you, know, <laughs> you just you just go through the process of using what you've always used because you know it will comply. But when you actually use the adiabatic calculation, your size of your, your CSA on your CPCs and stuff is quite small, isn't it? I certainly found that anyway. Yeah, 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 totally agree. But if you've got if you've got all those calcs. Let's say you attach them with your EIC. Um, you know, when you did that job, if somebody goes and does an EICR many years down the line or so, then if you've attached those original calcs to that EIC, then, you know, that person that's, that's undertaking that uh, inspection can verify that without doing a calc themselves, or they might do, that within that design, you've calculated it correctly and the CPC is the right size based on that thought current for that duration of time with the old K factor, isn't it? But again, it's it's a lack of understanding, again, around, you know, how to calculate the size rather than I'll just park, uh, pick half the size of, the, of the, the line conductor, which all the same, whatever, which is what you can do. But yeah, again, it's just knowledge of the, of the book, isn't it? And how to utilize it really. Or design, just stick it in, you know. Design's changing a bit now anyway. I mean, in, in big commercial jobs, Craig, you've probably been used to this for a good while anyway, but a domestic level with a whole prosumer thing when you might be going into island in mode and you've got all the worries of your overcurrent protective devices still working in both modes and then understanding how the dc and ac plays nicely with each other it's getting more complicated not getting any less complicated so getting it into students at an early age i think is something that industry needs to work harder on i know you're saying it's in the apprenticeship and the retrainee routes which is fantastic but we have had this 10-15 year period where that's not been the most common entry point so I've been getting a bit of stuff out there encouraging people to take these courses I mean I've done the 2396 you're doing it now Craig have you been through it Richard and taught it as well so we see the value in doing that it's getting that message out there I think so there's a lot of people who just think you do your 2391 and that's the limit for electricians and it, and it isn't no and I think it's understanding your own career journey and people say well i'm not going to be a designer so why should i do a design course having more knowledge and i'm not saying i'm more knowledgeable than anybody else but if you're investing in yourself and having time per se to try and learn and try and better yourself in my opinion it will come good for you in the long run and who knows what opportunities are going to be as much as we all love this industry i don't imagine any of us want to be crawling in loft voids when we're 60 years old no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, no. And I'm a prime example of that when opportunities like this, the one I've got currently, don't don't come around that often. So, you know, what an opportunity to be involved at a much higher level, um, especially where JPL's involved and, in you know, the whole process of taking, you know, international standards, European standards, bringing those into our yeah. standard, whether they're relative or not. And, and putting it all together and there it is you know so amazing really still on a big learning curve but um absolutely it's, it's good it is good really good and just to be a little bit controversial i was having a good chat with somebody who we all respect from the industry the other day as a teacher um and 
we were having a discussion about we also can't move too quick on this because actually we need to make sure that apprentices and people in the industry have the basics and have the fundamentals that they maybe haven't had before before we end up trying to teach them Toshim and DC. You know, there's talks of are all houses in the future going to be just DC supplies coming in? And in a lot of ways, that would be beneficial. But before we even start having those conversations, can somebody go back to the basic principles of these AC theory and start to understand the electrical design? And someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was a really interesting question. They said, if you take a subject and you say you think you know it, so we're all sparks, right? We all know what electricity is. And you say, what is electricity? Well, of course, electrons moving around, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but why? <laughs> and then why? And if you can get three or four whys down a conversation of an actual subject with an answer, then you've probably got a relative deep understanding of that subject. If you're stopping at the first one, you're probably not quite done enough in that sort of delving process, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it. Absolutely. When you, when you yeah. say it's magic and you're out of the whys, then... <laughs> <laughs> that'd be me out at the beginning <laughs> but then our industry is so so wide now and it's moving at such a pace to try and master everything is i mean i found this from teaching for all those years it's really difficult you know I, I, someone's better than me that that knows everything about everything because it's so difficult you know you've got people like joe robinson you know mr science and principles that's his thing <laughs> do you know what I mean I've got a decent understanding of science and all the rest of it that goes behind it but you know it, it, it's and they're just again things are just moving on so quickly um, so to, to have a, a, an understanding of absolutely everything especially with these new emerging um, you know technologies prosuming um, and island mode I know you're right into that market at the moment so I'll have to come and have a little um, little mooch on one of your installations to come and get a better understanding myself because it's not something that I've been directly involved with, you know, on the coal face of it. So, um, you know, it's just it's just moving on so quick, isn't it? You think you've got a grasp of something, and then something's changed. You know, prime example, you buy directional devices um, because obviously your data is coming back the other way, and there's so much you got to consider. So. It is, and it, it's not. It's not just the electrical side either. There's a learning journey in in general construction because of the the weight of all this gear, and then fire protection because DC tends to like to melt MC4 connectors. I've learned, and the DC isolators as well. Yeah. You've got all of these extra worries where you're trying to do a decent job for someone, and there's a lot of lot of learning. And, and com coming back to the design core side of things, am I right in saying that some of these new EV courses are encouraging people to have the design qualification as well is that like one of the pre-entry requisites or whatever the word is so in the city angels handbook it says and i don't know how much they stick to it but it has a statement in there about the ev charging installer course you need to be a gold card electrician to take place and for certainly for the level four commercial design of ev for large installations i believe you have to have your nine six or equivalent for undertaking that course. And, you know, that makes sense, in my opinion, because, well, we've seen what's happened with EVs over the last few years. And if Toshium in an island and an EV charging and all of this is going to take up such a big place in the market, then it needs to be designed properly and it needs to be thought about properly because large-scale commercial EV installations 
is not the same as whacking a zappy on somebody's house. And I'm not knocking anybody that's doing that as an industry. I'm just saying there's a clear difference between installing DC chargers, filling a car park up, or even making a charging petrol station effectively. It's a whole different ball game to doing sort of small domestic type EV charge installs. So I think it should be held at a higher level. It says it in the paperwork. I don't know how the legislature has been stuck to. Um, but I want to go and do the course after I've done my nine six to have a look at that large scale EV um, commercial install and see what it looks like. But I haven't seen any of the resources on it yet. I do know somebody who's part of the sort of exam and scrutineering team of those qualifications and it's very much still a developing qualification at this point in time, as far as I'm aware. So I, I just wondered if they were trying to move an element of m- many of the courses up to the level four standard, so you can do the kind of level three, as you still can with the domestic EV charge or whatever they, they term it, small scale, and then they've got the larger installs. I wonder if they're going to do something similar with battery storage, for example, and, and solar PV systems, because it's very different whacking a PV system on someone's house roof as opposed to filling a field with hundreds of panels. So I wonder if that's the, the direction of travel. I mean, I've not really kept abreast of what city and guilds are up to to be honest but it seems to be that that might be the way it's going and it should be but i think bpec are the only people that really have that kind of solar and battery world at the minute aren't they i think everybody else is trying to play catch up they've kind of cornered themselves with the mcs registration and being recognized and what have you so there's definitely an area that needs to be developed and for me it definitely should be an entry point to it whatever that entry point is there needs to be a good entry point to it because this could be really dangerous in a lot of people's houses i've seen seen something on i think it was linkedin the other day that said um 15 firefighters took three hours to put a tesla car fire out or something and you just think like if that's batteries in somebody's loft in somebody's house because someone's not done it right then you're not getting out of that really are you even if you survive it emotionally everything else is gone isn't it like you're not walking away from that like scarfy no I, I totally agree there needs to be more more guidance you know uh, i know there is a new chapter coming to 7671 on batteries um for amendment three so definitely because there needs to be more guidance doesn't it um, and as you've said you know once once these batteries go into thermal runaway you know there's no stopping them. They just keep burning. There's nothing they can do. They have to just tow it away and just leave it to burn. So there's a, there's a lot of issues around um, battery storage. But I, I totally agree. I think qualifications need to be developed alongside these new emerging technologies, and they need to be of a, of a certain quality. I know that our good friend uh, Kevin Sparrow is working away, doesn't he, with the AEL, hopefully developing um, some more quals for that. But I'd like to think that City and Guilds is developing some stuff as well but you know should they be set at a different level should there be different levels depending on what you're doing i think there should be i think what why why should everything be at a level three because generally within our industry it's all level three stuff apart from nine six but you know it should there be level four type stuff um i think there should be and maybe more you know i've always been one to open a door and then there's another door that could open from that door you always got to try and you know, like a sponge and learn more and more. Um, that's that's what I think. And you've got to try and encourage people to do that because 
you need to know the stuff now, don't you? Just you need to because there's so much to know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, it worries me to be honest, and it's an area I'm trying not to venture into before I don't have to because. I don't personally, I know you've gone too far into it, Mark, but you and your firm are obviously very time-served and have looked at this from a lot of angles. But for me, commercially, I think building control's got to be the main dictator in a lot of this. And I know that might be controversial because it's electrical equipment, we put it where we want. But actually, I think building control needs to be the leading angle on this to say that this equipment shouldn't be installed in any places other than X, Y, and Z. And then your point of tender, you should be going back and saying, where is your battery storage covered? How is that being fed back to your panels? How has that been agreed with building control? Because it's a whole wasp nest, I just think, that's going to go wrong. And if it goes the way the EV charges went when they kind of first launched them, I think we've unfortunately potentially got some scary times for the few people ahead if they're not yeah. being done properly, which I'm sure they all are. Yeah. <laughs> There's certainly some design principles that have been ignored with battery systems. I've seen and come across other people's installs where they're in the, the hall in a terraced house and it's the only entry and exit of a house. I just wouldn't ever think to put one there. And even outside in some of the small terraced properties that we have in our country, we're not blessed with these massive um, houses they have in Australia and America where you've got loads of land all around where you live. We're all kind of crammed in amongst each other, aren't we? And even if you put them on an outside wall near the front or back door, you still could be causing an issue there or between a neighbouring property. So even outside, not straightforward. It's not It's not simple, but I do think they should put somewhere that you shouldn't be putting them in lofts. There's no access for maintenance for them. There's yeah. the wide variance in temperatures. And then any route that's kind of an escape route, so stairways, under the stairs, hallways, you know, it's makes common sense really, isn't it? But they're getting installed in those places. I'm seeing it, so it's uh, it's happening. And what are the typical manufacturer's instructions like, Mark, with some of these products? Are they very detailed? They vary. They yeah. vary. Some, some of them, if you actually follow the instructions to a letter, they've almost worded it in a way that you couldn't install it anywhere. So right. they, they're okay. kind of... They're kind of on the IP44 spectrum. So if you put them outside, yeah, they'll resist a bit of weather, but not enough. They've been outdoors in Britain. Right. And then if you're going to put them um, inside, they can't be near a source of heat, which is a tricky one because usually you've got radiators around your house and all the rest of it. And then you can't have them in escape routes. Don't put them in lofts. There's, there's, Yeah, it's one of those. And then other battery manufacturers will happily say you can put them wherever you like as long as it's within minus... 20 or 30 degrees and plus 50 and they're happy with that just to bear in mind that you will affect the performance of the battery and it's it's longevity because that's the other aspect yep. if you're exposing it to these extreme conditions or certainly changes in humidity and temperature they're not going to last as long so it's not just the safety aspect the other thing i've learned is there's a difference between lithium iron and lithium ion so that's battery technology I wasn't aware of. So your electric scooters and things like that will have the lithium-ion batteries in, which can have massive thermal runaway. Yeah, I've seen those videos where someone's kitchen like yours just behind you there, Richard, went up in a matter of seconds with one of those electric bike fire things that they had charging indoors, which you're not supposed to do anyway. And it had gone up like that. But the, the lithium-ion ones are the LIFEPO4 ones, and they tend to not have a thermal runaway capability as such and that's what they're using in the house battery technology okay. so they don't gas and the gas then doesn't vaporize or supposedly um, and if they ever do get into a situation where they are damaged they just naturally shut down so they seem to be, be a bit safer 
But of course, this isn't our wheelhouse, is it? We're electricians. We're not battery chemists. We need people who are in those industries to give us some clear guidance. And and is there much of a difference in price between those two different types of batteries you were talking about then? Well, I think historically the lithium iron ones were more expensive because they're more battery dense. They were better performing battery for the size and footprint they take up, whereas the LifePo4 ones are a bit more inefficient. They don't quite um, output as much energy either, but they're more stable, I guess. So, yeah, I think in terms of cost, there's not a lot in it, to be honest. I think the Tesla vehicles have moved away from the lithium-iron to the LifePo4 as well, so they're transitioning away. And I expect a lot of other EV manufacturers will follow suit if it's a safer battery technology. And there's all this other stuff they've got in development that's coming as well. So this is fast-moving. So maybe even building control and the like, can't keep up with a rate of change this stuff's moving that quickly yeah and it's going to be interesting to see how people apply in the future i think because even now when you speak about energy efficiency all of our tenders ask about how we're going to reduce emissions in a building and you've got subsidies guides and part k haven't you about watts per meter squared of energy and everything else and it's just how do you how do you apply it all effectively one, to win the job, but two, to make sure you're doing it in a safe and effective manner. Because the more it starts to be about pushing the price down, the less it starts to become about safety. And I think people miss that with design. The design is often about safety, but equally about reducing the cost. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but every job I tender, we have to propose some sort of value engineered. And they love that term, don't they? Equal or equivalent or better performance. And you've got to sort of, design your way out of almost pick us because we'll do the best variation of what you wanted that cost X amount but for half the price we'll still be safe and it's a it's going to be interesting when that starts to affect solar and batteries I think hopefully the quantity surveyors don't expand their remit because they're the ones who are always doing that aren't they the QS's they'll see the spec and all the designs and they'll be trying to screw everyone down to the last penny which is it's such a weird approach, isn't it? When you're trying to deliver a good project, I never understand why quantity surveyors get quite so much power, to be honest. Yeah, but don't understand they don't like them. No, but crucially, <laughs> their, name, their name doesn't go on the certification, does it? They don't sign the design part. I wish they did, but they don't. So, you know, if, if, if it was all to go uh, tits up, let's say, then they're not going to be in a court of law, are they? But I know what you're saying. They, they kind of dictate how the, how the project goes, which is mad. But yeah. So. It's how they make their money, isn't it? And they don't, just, they don't just prick on the electricians, they pick on everything. So, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it's one of those. But the, the design side as a whole, I think it's um, something that apprentices and trainees need to be aware of, not just from getting through your, your training you're on now, but just think a bit ahead in time. Because if you're wanting to go on and progress into... EV, as we've just spoken about, it's already kind of a prerequisite to get onto some of the further training there. And I can see that coming as we've just discussed on solar and battery storage as well. So factoring that into your learning journey, if you like, after your 2391 and such, there's quite a, a mapped out route, really, isn't there? Do your apprentice, get in the industry for a few years, think about your 2391, a few years more, and then maybe look at your design course. And then really kick on when you end up old and grey in like us lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them don't realise that actually 
if they work for themselves, which hopefully they will, and they'll take apprentices on, et cetera, et cetera, they are the designer, unless they sub that work out, they, they are the designer. So they're the people that are going to be signing that part of the certification that takes responsibility for the design. So if something goes wrong with that design, fundamentally, they're going to have to explain themselves in a court of law because that's what it is. You are the designer. And, and as you said, Mark, for very simple installations, you know, the rule of something kind of goes, then you're kind of safe there or thereabouts, but not always. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a process, um, but you know, if, it's, if it's delivered correctly and there's an understanding there of the process, then it's not that difficult unless you start getting, you know, into harmonics and other more complicated areas. But the simple stuff isn't too bad. And, you know, maybe maybe moving forward, um, when the winter comes or the autumn, we could do something, you know, looking at a, a basic, you know, cable calc or design part of it and a simple calculation and stuff like that, you know, to kind of explain the process. Uh, looking through the book, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not for doing anything like that. I'm sure Craig will be in yourself. I don't mind. If, if there's a call for it, or people need additional support or help with anything, that, that's that's the point, isn't it? You know. So I think I think we're planning to run a kind of sort of six or seven week sort of 18th edition, not to teach anyone to pass the course, but kind of just try and update some apprentices because it's it tends to be one of the exams that they find the hardest, isn't it? So. It's not necessarily going to be out on YouTube. It'll be for a webinar of individuals to join and share in a safe forum for people to ask questions and learn and try and enhance some of that knowledge and skill. But I wonder, Richard, and obviously you're seeing a lot of this more now, is are we trying to do too much? Are you, you know, when you talk about harmonics and stuff, are we blurring the lines about where an electrician finishes and where some sort of electrical engineering type, you know, processes start and... I don't know if we're maybe starting to broaden so much that we're almost blurring industries and starting to take too much on, which is in, in effect where we're trying to make ourselves smarter, almost making ourselves no less because there's so much to try and understand. Yeah, but then is, is, that, is that going towards maybe a level four, like we said earlier? Should that be at a, at a different level or maybe a higher level and then a higher level again? I, 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 I totally agree with you because you, you can get snowed right under, can't you? you know, when you start to get right in depth with, with, you know, equipment that produces harmonics and things like that, and the third and the ninth and all that. And there is calculations and formula in the regs to, to calculate that out. But would the average person need that? Probably not. You know, would it, would it muddy the water? Probably yes. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. And that, that comes back to the different levels again, doesn't it? Should there be a different level? I mean, I'm not sure, as you, as, have you touched on harmonics during your learning with 2396 last week, did you? Or? I've done my own reading into it, but you don't spend much time on it because it's Especially not likely to be questioned and challenged at that point because unless you're in that sort of field, I guess, and you're working with those sorts of situations fairly regularly, then yes, I know people will say that if you've got three-phase cables, they can have harmonics against each other and all the rest of it, but how much does it actually affect what we do if you're putting in your standard sort of you know three phase air conditioning condenser going outside yeah is it having that big an effect it really needs to be something you're digging knee deep in to understand what a harmonic means and how you calculate it and what effect it's having on your cables i'm just not overly sold at this point in time on that if i'm honest and yeah. you know people can tell me i'm wrong but that's my take on it from my own learning currently 
Yeah, it's it's more of an awareness thing, then, isn't it? Really, and and if yeah. you know you're aware of it, and it may be a factor within your design, then you'd need to, you know, take that into account and and apply any further calculations for that. But as you say, it's it, unless you know you've you've considered it because of some of the equipment that's going to be within that installation, you're probably not going to come across it that often. But it is in there, and as you say, I think that's it's another level that is. You might talk about it and have an understanding actually. Harmonics ultimately are going to affect the current carrying capacity of the cable, aren't they? That, that's basically what it is. Yeah, and, and I, but I would argue, not argue, but I would say there's lots of subjects like that that we love to throw about, but we don't truly understand them. Like, who truly fully understands a diverted neutral current, for example, or broken pen or low pen conductor or any other version of the same thing that we want to call it? Like, yeah. And all that we're kind of getting on that support is we'll put a clamp meter on it in guidance note three and half a page of sort of support to help electricians out. And but at least, think, at least there is something in there because I didn't think they were going to do it, but they have. So there is some guidance there, which is good. And uh, it is something you need to be aware of again. But I think moving forward, will it be built into the scheduler tests? Um, in, in Amendment 3 or maybe the 19th, I think it will, because I think it's never going to go away and it, it is an issue or can be an issue and you've got to be aware of it. So, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of work going on in the background, you know, because there's a lot of talk about diverted neutral currents, et cetera, with TNCS and all that, because it ain't going away. They ain't going to just replace the distribution network, are they? It ain't going to happen. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting. I mean, that's us looking at it from, from our spectrum of being in industry, but the, the DNO aspect is still part of industry. People who will be on their electrical apprenticeships might end up going into yeah. the DNO side of things and the diverted neutral currents and harmonics are going to be a big factor in those kind of circumstances. So it is, it's interesting. There's lots and lots to learn. I know exactly what you mean, Greg. You can't learn all this stuff and expect to have a grasp on it, and certainly not as a, a new entrant to industry. So it's about getting the base camp of knowledge and experience right isn't it so i think the founding principles of design and as you've said the 18th edition support package we're going to try and do i think we might replicate that a little bit with testing inspection later on maybe and get into design as well i think your idea richard of putting a little <laughs> podcast together where we run through design of a specific circuit is a good one i do get a lot of questions from people who are struggling with their design modules and also their testing inspection that's a big common one science and principles as well with apprentice one-to-one -one questions and i'm not the right person to answer those to be brutally honest so if we maybe get a bit more organized on these podcasts finally i think we've said it a few times and we just end up rambling away about other nonsense so we should maybe get a bit more organized into things and um set some structure to these so we can maybe help people a bit better yeah i think i think that's that's a great idea um i remember way back when when um obviously gas from gsh and efix used to do his ramble and that that the ramble was was just having a chat what you've been up to mark and yeah you've been doing this and you know blah 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 but a ramble's great i, I love a ramble see what's going on and what's happening and what you're doing but as you say if, if there's a call for different things the 18th edition that'll be really good as well delving into the book inspection and testing all that um, if you know if there's holes in people's knowledge or they just want a slightly better understanding and if we can simplify out in a way that they can get a better understanding of it it's going to help them towards the qualification their apprenticeship am2 whatever it is um you know i'm all up for that if, if i can help obviously always will so absolutely you know different people have different ways of explaining things don't they um and you never know 
Yeah. I think it I think it's the last the last little shove of the the COVID babies, if we can call them that. So the people who were in education when COVID was a thing, yeah. they're still going through their journey, aren't they? And there's gaps in their knowledge that they need a bit of help with that they maybe missed out with their employers or in the college at the time or whatever it was. So if we can put a few bits and pieces together that might help them out. I know from speaking with Craig O'Neill down at, at his training facility, there's a um, an issue helping their learners for the same reason they're like been through covid they're catching up there's lots to fill gaps with so i think there is still a bit of demand there for us to pop some content out and hopefully help people and um as we've just decided here on this podcast we're going to get on with organizing that will be yeah, a bit more structured in the next one is there anything else either of you two would like to add around design while we're talking about it tonight or are we about done do you think not so much about design, but just to say to people generally, it's your career, it's your map. Like, go and have a look at where you think you're going. Start to plan it out because don't get bought up in the cheap course options. I know there's a specific one around 2919 going around at the minute, which is the old new charging course. People are trying to flog that for the last four months. They can register you on it, for example, for silly money but it only lasts a year on your ECS card and then it gets taken off and then you're no longer recognised doing it so make sure you go and research around your quality, plan your career, plan your future because hopefully you're going to be doing this as long as we all have by the time we stop and hang our hats up and you'll have enjoyed it as much as we have if you've made your right choices in your right career. Yeah, I'd just, I'd just add to that that obviously I've taught many courses not only to apprentices but you know electricians adult learners whatever and i think sometimes people are afraid to ask you know how do i calculate design current again what about if i've got a power factor to consider and all that they're too afraid because you forget stuff you know when you've got software and you put it in the software and it does it for you etc nobody knows everything so it, you know it's not just for apprentices it's for anyone it's not that difficult if you know where to look and, and the process for it so you know i think it's it's open to anyone to to just refresh your memory, really, and have a better understanding of how you get to that. Well, how did you work that size cable out? And I've got the, you know, it's, you know what I mean? So absolutely, I think, you know, more people that reach out and say, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do this. Or even some real life scenarios where they come across an issue and they're not really sure how to, you know, follow the process to get to the right size cable or how do you do the adiabatic equation or how do you work out thermal constraint or shock protection, whatever it is. Once you, once you can explain it to them, a lot of the time, it kind of makes sense. And I'm like, ah, oh, I see what you mean now. I'm not, I can't do it again myself, but I know what you mean. I know, I know why I'm wiring those lights in formal now, because I didn't know. I'm just pulling these cables in thinking, these are massive, why am I wiring lights in formal? You know, just because of experiences over the time when you've got apprentices that don't understand, but they do at the end when you've calculated it. And then other times you calculate it. Well, you've got to wire that shower in 16 mil now, mate, because you've you've run through it, you know, thermal insulation and then you've grouped it with other circuits and all that. Well, how can I get around that? Well, pick it out the thermal insulation and don't group it. Then you can wear it in six months. Ah, right, I see what you mean. But when you explain it and show it, it I think it makes a lot of sense. And after you've, not after you've, to learn, are we? You know, so. After you've tried to get your first 16 mil into a shower <laughs> isolator, you will be <laughs> moving <laughs> insulation very regularly. Hair cut it, mate. Hair cut it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you're, you're right i read this conversation with neil bridgman on his podcast about the nic question of the week and how you'll see in the comments every week without fail someone will say why are you asking this if this is the level of the industry we're wasting our time 
But it's what you don't take into account is that not everybody's been doing it 20 years. Huh. Not everyone has the same knowledge and experience you do. And that weekly question that might look a bit easy for you at that point in time, at one point in time would have been hard for you as well. So there needs to be a bit of self-reflection and awareness around that. I think the NIC question of the week is a fantastic thing. And, and sometimes they are easy and sometimes they're very hard. Yeah. Sometimes when you think they're easy, you get them wrong. <laughs> well, I was about to say, most people who shout and complain about how bad the industry is, I'd love to see them personally actually doing it. Okay, yeah, industry's bad. So what is the answer then? Uh, those who say, didn't they? Those who shout the loudest, not the least. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's... Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff going on, albeit, you know, and, and respect to Mark for setting this up and, and, you know, all the other good things that he's doing in, in this space at the moment. But there's a lot of good stuff going on that wasn't available, you know, five, ten years ago. And it certainly wasn't available back in my day because there was no YouTube, there wasn't podcast, there wasn't anything like that. It was the old dial-up internet. There was nothing. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I think these webinars and podcasts are a great way where people can, can get involved without being embarrassed because they're frightened to ask questions. And I think not only for apprentices, but for everyone in industry, I think, I think it's a great thing. There's a lot of really good stuff that's been done at the moment. And I'm really looking forward to, to CEF's uh, couple of days and fair play to them. And Darren's doing some good stuff doing the tech talks there. Some good stuff going on. I'm looking forward to, um, you know, meeting people and doing some good stuff and seeing how we can do other stuff and getting other support. And a lot of manufacturers are getting involved. So it's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Just on a note that I found funny to reminisce on the way past, I was doing the Instagram scroll that we all do whilst you're waiting to come on and start here. And I was going down and it said, in my day, we didn't have tablets and mobile phones. You used to read the cereal box when you were eating your breakfast. Absolutely. <laughs> right, mate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So true. <laughs> Absolutely. The thing things things have drastically improved and um they say it's for the better, but I quite like reading cereal boxes. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's nothing better than when that first Nokia came out with Snake and all you could do was play Snake and sometimes make a phone call. <laughs> that was it. And the battery had last days and days as well. But we're we're going into new territory there. We're going to come back with another podcast soon. Jamie was going to join us tonight, but he's away working and doesn't get any phone signal. So we're going to have to manage without him on this one. But he'll be back as well. And we'll pick a, a subject matter and run into it, whether it's um, testing inspection or designing a circuit, whatever you want. We're here to try and help. Until the next time, we'll see you then. Bye, all. Cheers, guys. <laughs>